Welcome to the Solo 2.0 podcast, where two sisters, Jess and Rye, focused on health and hormone balance to help you step into that 2.0 version of you. Growing up, we heard all about hormones, sometimes more than we wanted, from our mom, who is a hormone health educator. As we got older, we rebelled and experienced our own health struggles and ups and downs. But today we have businesses helping people get in tune with their bodies, break free from restrictive eating and lifestyle habits, and learn how to balance their hormones naturally. So what can you expect from this podcast? Honest conversations and hot topics that should be more mainstream, like period health, cycle tracking, non-hormonal birth control, and our unique take on fad diets and trends that aren't always so supportive for women. Plus, interviews with health and wellness entrepreneurs making a big impact in the world. Ladies, it's time we align with our powers and redefine what healthy means to us. Let's get into it. We have to recognize that when we point this finger of blame and guilt and shame at somebody, that they're automatically, they can't help it, they're going to get defensive, they're going to get reactive. Welcome back to the Solo 2.0 podcast. This is Ryan, co-founder of Your Home and Balance. And that clip is from our incredible guests, Linda and Charlie Bloom, who have been married since 1972. Trained as psychotherapists and relationship counselors, they have worked with individuals, couples, groups, and organizations since 1975. And they've lectured and taught at learning institutes throughout the U.S. and around the world. They have authored five books together, including the bestseller, 101 Things I Wish I Knew When I Got Married, with over 100,000 copies sold. Secrets of Great Marriages, Happily Ever After, and their newest release is called An End to Arguing, 101 Valuable Lessons for All Relationships. They are founders and co-directors of Bloomwork, based in Santa Cruz, California. Their website is bloomwork.com, and you can find them on YouTube under Linda Charlie Bloom. Also, side note, for those in California, they will be teaching at Esalon Institute in Big Sur, which if you're not familiar, it's a dreamy location, and if you're able to get out there, I highly suggest looking them up. So to this conversation, I absolutely loved it. It was my first time interviewing anyone alone. My sister has taken one for the team many times and done a lot of solo interviews. Um, but yeah, it was my first one and I really enjoyed talking to them. I think I was a bit overwhelmed with the number of different relationships with specific questions I wanted to ask. So I ended up listening back to this conversation a couple times to really, uh, soak in all of their insights. And so I suggest really focusing in when you listen to this and and catching the gems, because I think there's something for all of us to learn. And whether or not you're in a relationship today, they offer sage advice for improving your communication style when dealing with intense emotions or conflict of any kind, which of course can apply with interpersonal to interpersonal relationships or, you know, family, friends, coworkers, etc. We do focus a lot on the romantic connections, but again, I think it'll be helpful uh, across the board. We also talk about the difference between an argument and a productive or passionate conversation. Despite the title of their book, they definitely encourage having the tough conversations. We talk about how to find your voice and the courage and vulnerability to have tough conversations, what not to say in an argument, red flags to look out for in a relationship, ways to reignite reignite the spark, the secret to to the happiest long-term relationships, thoughts on codependency, and suggestions for improving intimacy. I also share a bit about my relationship. I've been with my partner for over 13 years, and I talk about how our communication styles have evolved over the years, but I also want to stress, I probably didn't make it sound 
like this in the episode, but we of course are a work in progress always too. And this conversation was super helpful for me to realize ways that I could improve my conversation or communication styles when we get into arguments as well. Um, I think there's always room for improvement. So I hope you find this helpful for any of your relationships and Remember to rate, review, and subscribe if you're enjoying what you've been hearing, especially if you love this episode. Go ahead and mention Charlie and Linda. I'm sure they would love that. And just so you know, we've got another episode coming out week after next. It's going to be with Dr. Nathan Riley, our part two. He is a holistic OBGYN, and we're going to be digging into a lot of different conversations, but a focus on egg freezing um, to kind of coincide with with my journey, I'm currently in the process of, well, I haven't yet, but I'm going to be freezing my eggs in a month. So I'm learning a lot about it. I'm going into, um, a unique period of time where I'll be doing injections and taking some hormones leading up to the, to the treatment. So, uh, I, I want to share a bit about that and I'm really interested in getting his, his take on it, but we'll cover a lot more topics and we hope you tune in and enjoy. And thank you for following along and listening and enjoy this one. To start, though, I'd love for you to explain a little bit more about your background, including how you met and how you work together today to really help people through conflicts. Well, thank you for the question. And we recently had our 50th wedding anniversary. Oh, congrats. Thank you. We had a gala affair right in our backyard here. It was so fun. And we did a little ceremony, which was nice. We met when we were still college students back in the 60s. We were flower children and hippies back in the 60s. And uh, I fell for him really fast. <laughs> and we moved in together really fast. And neither one. Which, of which we don't recommend. No, we don't. Okay. Okay. <laughs> he didn't have good models in our family of origin. So we did have a lot of conflict and a lot of bad habits that we picked up in our families, but we were both really good students. So we got wonderful help when we were in trouble on numerous occasions. And I'll be grateful all my days to these people who really gave us some good guidance about toning down our intensity and not being too attached to what it has to look like and respecting the differences. And it took a while for us to get really masterful, but we are really enjoying each other now. We don't argue hardly any anymore, but we have strong interactions, do you know, passionate, but we know where those lines are. So we don't go over to trying to coerce the other person into seeing things our way or doing things differently. We just make a big space. Mm. So we've been together a long time and we've learned a lot and we've had some profound teachers and I feel like I want to pay it forward to some more people. Well, you definitely are. Can you share a bit about your work that you do and how you help people? Um, well, we're both trained as psychotherapists, and that was what we were initially doing. We became therapists probably about maybe seven or eight years after we got together. And um, I guess the short version of that is in in terms of how we got to work with couples. Um, I was working 
as a as a therapist and um, wanted to expand what my repertoire, and I got myself hired as a uh, to be trained as a facilitator for large group personal growth groups. And I worked for that company for several years. And during that time, um, Linda and I were asked to put on, to, to develop a workshop for relationships because so many of the people who came into that milieu um, had relationship issues. And so we, st we, we put together a seminar uh, called Partners in Commitment and we we offered that and um the company basically set up uh trainings for that in different cities in the country and then when i left uh that company in 1988 um we started doing it on our own and uh so We've been doing it for quite a while, <laughs> and we've we've learned quite a bit in the process. Um, you know, not just kind of from graduate school or from books, but um, from the people that we worked with, and and from our own relationship, the challenges that we had. Because um, you know, people don't necessarily realize that therapists have got stuff going on in their in their lives. Yeah. You know, it's not like they have arrived and they don't have, they don't have any of that stuff or they were born with those skills. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's on the job training and the mm -hmm. job is not just about uh, teaching seminars or writing books, but the job is about walking the talk in your own relationship. Yeah. And so that's really where we how we started and um, our clients and students have taught us an enormous yeah. amount and we've learned a lot from our own experience and that's that's how we we try to operate in terms of when we're working with couples when we're working with students in a seminar and when we're writing books that we really want to give people practical information that we know works not because we've heard about it but because we are practicing it in our lives and we have seen the results from other people who are practicing some of these uh, engaged in some of these practices that, that we we uh, teach them. And the book is <clears throat> has 101 different uh, examples of those practices. So it's, it's a very practically practical oriented um, book. And yeah. That's what, you know, we think people need is they don't just need theories, but they need really on the job trainings, coaching. Yeah. And relatable situations so they don't feel so alone. Exactly. And I know you've written multiple books and your latest book is an end to arguing 101 lessons, valuable lessons for all relationships. So having not read the book yet, which I absolutely plan to, are you saying that it is unhealthy to argue or fight at all? Or... Can you describe what you're really defining as an argument and how that differs from perhaps a difficult conversation? Mm. Mm. We, we make a distinction between having a discussion or a debate, which can be quite animated. You can yeah. have a lot of intense feelings. They can get intense, very passionate, but 
you're expressing yourself. You're expressing your feelings. You're expressing your needs. You're expressing your point of view without going over the line to making the other person wrong, threatening them, judging them, criticizing them. That's when it leaves being a healthy, useful discussion and goes into an argument where people feel hurt. They feel frightened. They want to run away. They want to get you back. That's when things get destructive. So yes, we want people to bring up the tough issues. We want them to have the crucial conversations where we make a very large point in the book about don't be anger phobic and don't be conflict phobic. You need to put the issues on the table, but be artful about the way in which you express yourself. Speak about your own experience, your own feelings and needs, and particularly your vulnerable feelings. When you feel sad, when you feel alone, when you feel frightened, when you feel hurt, when people are angry and they're acting out, they're belligerent and they're attacking, do you know they're manipulative? Those tender feelings are underneath and the, and the big feelings are so strong that it can be hard to get a hold of the real tender ones and you need a lot of courage. Self-discipline too to bring those vulnerable feelings out. But that's when the connection heart-to-heart takes place and the learning and understanding occurs. Makes all the difference. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I feel like in my relationship, we've been together for 13 years. We are passionate people and we've, I feel like we have really productive arguments. And so I kind of wanted to start with that because I feel like for us, it's sort of, I've said before, like it's the secret to our relationship that we can talk about anything, but we're both passionate people. And so it's kind of difficult to imagine not having a heated conversation, but it's not going to that place where it's really attacking a negative, but also probably earlier on in the relationship it did. And we kind of had to evolve through that. And so first I would say we both naturally have no problem sharing how we feel and we're very expressive. And I think that's again, how it's worked. But for many people, again, that vulnerability, the courage to say something at all, especially if their partner is not someone who's going to match that level of sharing, it is really scary. So how does someone, what would be your, your tools for getting the courage to have a productive conversation? Well, I think you're really putting your finger on the essential quality (laughs) one of the essential qualities that's really needed in order to engage in the kind of dialogue that we're talking about and that is courage i mean if you ask you know people what are the qualities that you know great relationships require you'd hear things like uh love and support and caring and and trust and you know all of which are really important but they don't think of courage um uh because that doesn't seem to fit in a in a <laughs> loving relationship you shouldn't need courage right. well um we <laughs> do as a matter of fact we yeah. do <laughs> yeah because um you know there we've we've worked with with people who have guys who have been in in combat in warfare and they've been able to you know, muster the, the courage that it takes to put your life on the line. And when you're in relationships, what's on the line uh, and is your own sense 
of who you are as a person. And this person with whom you're in relationship um, is in a position to either make you a hero or break you as a zero. I mean, they have incredible power. When you open your heart to somebody, um, they, they can really either enhance your life and your sense of value of yourself, or they can cut you to the bone. And, and no matter how much you love somebody, it's always possible that, you know, they, they might do or say something that, that hurts, hurts your feelings. I mean, you can have a great relationship, but that doesn't mean that, you know, you're never going to have those moments where one of you just is, you know, something, they blurt something out, either intentionally or unintentionally often. And, you know, it, it hurts. Mm -hmm. it, it, it hurts. And, it, you know, it's one thing to be taking the risk of taking a physical risk, that kind of a, the courage that that requires. But to take a risk of revealing your vulnerability to somebody, even somebody that you love, um, that takes courage. And the more you practice that with, with one person in a committed partnership, the, the more confidence you get, not, not only in terms of this relationship and trusting that this person is really not intentionally going to hurt, hurt you, but to know that even when you do get hurt, you can recover from that emotional injury. And, and that's what I think a lot of us need to develop is not only that courage, but the faith and the confidence that even if I do get my feelings hurt, I can, I can survive that. I can get over it. And the way you get to that point is by really putting yourself in those positions that a lot of people try to avoid all the time. Mm -hmm. So, sorry. I want to add something to what he's saying that I'm the one back in the day, back in the, the early part of our relationship, who was the anger phobic person. Cause I thought that anger was dangerous and the conflict was dangerous. And so Charlie could sense when I was upset about something, irritated, you know, resentful, but I wasn't being honest with him. And he put me on notice early in our relationship. I'm not having a relationship with anybody who's dishonest. Well, I was shaking, you know, I was between the rock and the hard place because I had learned how to hide those feelings because I could get big in big trouble in my family. But when he said, you've got to start being direct with me and honest with me. And so I was already madly in love with him by the time he put me on notice. And I made up my mind that I was going to grow some courage and talk about what I was feeling when I was upset and disappointed and irritated. And I will always be grateful that he encouraged me to do that because to the degree that we hide that, we disguise it, you know, we put it in the denial zone. We keep ourselves from our personal power. I found my voice 
with his encouragement. And I think that people don't realize how much they're sacrificing for their own sense of self, no less the the relationship, the trust isn't as strong, the bond isn't as strong, if they don't risk speaking up about the things that are important. Yeah. So I had a little mantra. I used to say, first airplane off the runway. And that was my reminder. Take a risk. Don't shut it down. Don't put it in the denial zone. Don't cut yourself off in the throat. Let it go. Let it fly. And, you know, I got into trouble because I was wasn't too careful about the way I said things when I first started. But, you know, sometimes the pendulum has to swing. And then I came back towards middle and I could be more thoughtful about the way I expressed myself without repressing it. So I wanted to offer that to the listening audience. Get some nitty gritty about the how to. Yeah, because that was going to be my next question is, okay, it's scary. So a lot of people just aren't going to do it. And unfortunately, that means in a relationship, sometimes you have two people, it can be friends that are dealing with some sort of challenge or in a romantic partnership where neither of you is going to say anything. And then there's the relationship where one of you is saying something and the other person is not giving anything back and is shutting down. So in any scenario, I hear that we need to be courageous and no matter what, put our feelings out there. But is there a more effective, productive way to start a conversation where you can potentially get a better response? Because a lot of people don't have the tools to even know how to start the conversation. Well, I I think that most people don't. We certainly didn't. (laughs) And um, I think most people do not come from uh, upbringings or families or institutions uh, that really taught them um, effective ways of communicating with people. And um, so we all have a learning curve. And, and beginning with that awareness that um, I have learned some ways of communicating uh, that are effective, but some of the ways I'm communicating maybe could use a little improvement. And um to, to, to begin with that attitude, to be open to learning, to be recognized that w- when there are issues in a relationship, for example, it, it always appears as though <laughs> it's the other person's stuff that's getting in the way. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we don't want to self-reflect. We, our inclination for most of us is not to look and, and see, well, what is it that I'm doing that's causing this person to get so angry with me. Um, and, and, it, and it's not that I'm responsible for them being angry, but I am responsible for dealing with that, their reaction to me in a way that moves us ahead in a positive way, rather than gets us entrenched in one of these old habits and patterns. So when we say, you know, in the book, an end to arguing, what we're talking about is what Linda said earlier, not a passionate discussion, but an interaction in which we are, you know, um, we're stuck in one of those cycles where we keep going round and round and round and it doesn't go anywhere. And the harder we try to fix it, the worse it gets. Mm-hmm. And that's what we, that's the kind of arguing that we want people to see. They don't have to stay stuck in. You use the, the phrase productive argument. Do you know that's unproductive? Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so the the answer to that question that you raised about when you're encountering somebody whose reaction is problematic and the impulse that we have is to try to get them, you know, to well, calm down, relax, you know, let me explain to you. And, you know, the focus is on getting them to see things or do things differently. And when we're under that kind of pressure from somebody, somebody's trying to coerce us into thinking differently, acting differently, feeling differently, there's going to be re resistance. And that's why when we get into those patterns, it just keeps going round and round in circles. The way to short circuit that or, or to prevent getting caught in that is to just focus on what I am experiencing right now. This is what I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling agitated. I'm feeling confused. I'm feeling lost. Um, um, I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling scared. Whatever it might be, as soon as you do that, you're taking the focus off of the other person, and they're not going to get so defensive. They're not going to feel like I've got to, you know, I'm going to counterattack you because they're not feeling threatened. We have to recognize that when we point this finger of blame and guilt and shame at somebody, that they're automatically, they can't help it, they're going to get defensive, they're going to get reactive, they're going to either withdraw and check out, or they're going to counterattack. Mm -hmm. So we have to turn it around and just look at, okay, what am I feeling right now? And let the other person know that. And if we can have a dialogue uh, that involves both of us speaking from our experience, mm -hmm. then we're in a position where we can promote more understanding of each other and less defensiveness. It's not easy to do this because we've been ingrained in defensive behaviors. We've all got our favorite defensive reactions, you know, to to protect us from the anticipation of some kind of punishment or blame or guilt or something. Um, so that's one of the practices in, in, you know, in the in the book that we talk about is self-responsibility, where you redirect your focus of attention, not from how you want the other person to be, not trying to coerce them and to be more understanding, you know, you know, don't don't do this, do this. And to, OK, this is what I'm I'm feeling. Yeah. Break that habit of projecting responsibility and blame onto the other person. Mm -hmm. What what advice do you have for people who are sharing in that way and it's still met with either resistance and inability to share or be vulnerable back or a sort of dismissal of those feelings? We always invite the couples that we work with when we're teaching a workshop or doing couples counseling, and we do this in the book too, to invite the other person to look at their own self-interest, that they've got some skin in the game. Do you know, everybody wants to be happy and they have certain ways that they would like that to take place. Mm 
People want to live in an environment where they feel at ease, where they feel at peace. They don't want to be tense and think that that's something's going to disrupt, you know, any moment that there could be an explosion. You don't want people being cold, giving you the cold shoulder, you know, and freezing you out. And so if you can invite the partner who tends to want to be on the phobic end and not doesn't want to get vulnerable, doesn't want to risk, and you appeal to them, we're going to be so much better off, both of us. This isn't just for me. This is for both of us if we learn how to communicate well, particularly about the really thorny issues. Mm -hmm. We know each other better if we learn what each other's triggers are, if we set the conversations up ahead Mm -hmm. by having a preliminary conversation, would this be a good time to talk? And be sure not to say, we need to talk. I didn't (laughs) think that struck terror into his viscerally, uh, you know, and I did it for a long time before he told me how off-putting that was. And not to make you statements, Charlie gave you some examples of what doesn't work. You know, you're needing to calm down now, calm down. People don't want to be bossed and told what to do, but we need each other's feedback to know when we're speaking in ways that are off-putting. And one of the things that's um, really dangerous to say is you're being defensive. In fact, you're already in trouble if you say you, because what's going to follow after that's going to be some kind of judgment and blame. So when Charlie's talking about staying with your own experience and speaking from your own experience, that is responsible, respectful communication. And people need to catch themselves red-handed because they know they're supposed to be making I statements and they know they're supposed to be talking about their feelings. So they say, I feel that you're being a jerk. And that's not really keeping to the, to the spirit of the agreement to make I statements. Mm-hmm. I want to give a, a, one quick example of what somebody can do in response to your question about when somebody is encountering that kind of resistance from their partner and, you know, they don't want to involve with that. Um, <clears throat> to, to acknowledge um some things that you have done first um to the other person lead by example to admit yeah i i I mean i can understand how you would be disappointed or how you would feel that way and um i I acknowledge that i have uh you know or i did do that or say that at that time and um i I just want you to know that I, i appreciate you your recognizing that and because i know that we both want to uh to uh, address the things that are getting in in our way and yeah i I know i can be very critical sometimes or i can be really touchy and you know whatever you know just to it's a way of reassuring them that i'm not here to make you wrong i'm not here to prove that all of this stuff is your fault. I have been an active agent too in this, and I just want you to know that I want to. I want to put that out there, and um, I.
All I need from you right now is just to hear what I'm saying. Gandhi says, uh, be the change you want to see in the world. And I especially appeal to women. I especially appeal to women to step into the leadership role. Yeah. But yeah. be a really good leader. Yeah. Be a really good teacher. That's great advice. Definitely leading with what you've what you've maybe done or where you can see something you know that they might agree with you on from the beginning and then go into how you're feeling. And I would just add, um, you know, again, from my own experience and my own relationship, and I've also had a lot of like conflict I've been able to solve with friends, you know, through again, productive conversation, but it's always so scary, that feeling of just how are they going to respond? Um, but I found in some instances that, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, that sometimes starting with a text or sometimes I've done a letter or there's been different forms of different people that have been effective, but do you feel that it should always be, and I think sometimes for women when they are really afraid, because we can say have courage and just go for it, but it's so hard to get there until you finally, until the first time you do. And so would you, do you think that that's an effective strategy to maybe write someone something if you can't get the courage to say it first as a way of getting the ball moving? Yeah, I think that having um, whatever form that communication might take, whether it's a text or an email or a phone call or, you know, whatever, um, you know, we, we want people to understand that this is big stuff we're talking about. This is not easy to break these defensive habits that we've got. And and people do get very defensive and reactive when they're confronted with something that feels to them like they're being blamed for something they did wrong. You know, it just activates all kinds of stuff from our childhood about being punished when you, know, when you screwed up or when you did something bad. So yeah, we're all we're all sensitive to it. And so that process of going from, you know, wanting to be safe and not not wanting to be vulnerable to somebody's reaction to feeling comfortable with each other so that, you know, like the relationship that we have right now, we both feel completely comfortable saying whatever it is that we're feeling at any time. Yeah. And a lot of people don't ever get to that point. Yeah. It's And it's amazing how that transforms your relationship, that level of safety. But you don't go from being defensive to being totally trusting like that. You take thousands of micro steps in the process. So what we encourage people to do is take a little risk. Mm -hmm. Don't go for something huge, but take what what is a small risk I could take right now? What's what's a way that I could communicate this concern um, in a way that doesn't uh, that's less likely to activate them and that I feel more comfortable with. So, so to, to look in terms of multiple small steps rather than huge, big, dramatic changes. We don't write letters to each other about difficulties much anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Years ago, when we were just getting our skill set up, I wrote a lot of letters. And I am a big believer in letters, and I encourage people that I'm working with to write them, particularly about the gnarly subjects, 
because you can take as much time as you need Mm -hmm. and make as many revisions as you need to. Mm -hmm. And if there's any make wrong and blame and, and, you know, victim-y stuff in there, you can delete it out. out. (laughs) (laughs) And it's good preparation for when you hopefully have the conversation face-to-face. You've gotten your, you know, you've gotten some momentum up. You've gotten some courage up. You've gotten some clarity about the points that you want to communicate. And I always encourage people to use the sandwich. The sandwich is you start out with something sweet and good, sincere about, I care so much about this relationship. I want us to be close. I don't want anything to be between us clogging up the channel. I want us to have the best relationship we can, then put the tough stuff in the middle, the the meaty part, and end with, and I'm so glad that you're reading this letter and that you care about the relationship too. And this is exquisite what we have. It's so precious and we want to protect it and make it healthy, wholesome, and wonderful. Mm-hmm. So for couples or even friends or fam, well, let's start with couples um, who have been having these fights or maybe one of the partners is trying to have these hard conversations and it's really not getting anywhere. Um, what would you say would be some signs of real, I mean, I would assume that if you're not getting anywhere together that you should work with somebody. I would assume that that would be a suggestion because you need some support. Um, But beyond that, say you then get into therapy and then you're still not really getting anywhere. Um, And I had this question from someone, it's kind of a broad one, but I think so much of the red flag that, you know, sort of wanting to know what are the red flags in a relationship? And I sort of want to know, like, what are the communication red flags that, if you've been, you're really not able to work through that, then maybe this isn't the best relationship. That's a really important question. It's one of the most uh, asked, que- one of the questions that we get asked most frequently is, uh, how do you know when to keep trying and when to hang it up? Um, <clears throat> and uh, generally, uh, our answer to that is um, to make sure that the, the person is clear about what their work is. Um, when we work with couples, we always want each person to focus on what the, what are the challenging aspects of this process for you? What do you need to strengthen and develop within yourself in order to become a better communicator, in order to be able to become a better listener, in order to be more effective in being able to make the, the connection that you want to make? Um, and it's it's generally the case where each person has got different work to do. Like in in our case, for example, um, Linda's work was to learn how to speak up instead of withdrawing when she felt scared or um, angry. And um, my work was to shut up (laughs) (laughs) because I was using language and I was using, you you know, uh, our communication as a, as a way of intimidating Linda or controlling her or, you know, keeping her from threatening me or, you know, whatever. Or winning in the argument. Oh yeah. Winning in the argument. Yeah, exactly. So, so we, we encourage people, first of all, are you doing your work? Are you doing the work that you need to do in order to develop the character strengths that you need to strengthen here? And, and um, so we want to make sure that each person is clear about that. And then um, 
and then the question that comes up when they're, they're hitting those places is, well, are, are you are you doing the work? What is your work in this particular situation here? Are you really making an effort to become more honest, to become more vulnerable, like you said that you you know wanted to be? Are, are you doing your work? And um, at some point in in the process, um, if things just get stuck and they're not moving, um, then at that at that point, it's usually at least one of the people has disengaged from that commitment. And, and if 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 one of the people says, you know, is really clear, I am doing all I can do. I'm I'm doing the best that I can. I'm I'm working my butt off here, and I'm just not getting any reciprocal response from my partner. I mean, at that point, uh, I think it's appropriate to start thinking about whether this is something that I, I, I really want to keep doing, particularly if I'm experiencing some some feelings and some inner symptoms, you know, like uh, I'm, I'm feeling exhausted, I'm, I'm, I'm getting sick, I'm, I'm at the point where I, I, I'm just, it's affecting my quality of life to be in this situation. I'm doing all I can do and it just ain't happening. You know, at that point, then I think it's really time to ask that question. Is this really worth it? We don't believe that all marriages can and should be saved. Certainly not. Sometimes, for whatever reason, you hit a place where uh, it's just irreconcilable. But there was a very sad statistic. This statistic breaks my heart that most couples who get divorced didn't even go to one couples counseling session. Wow. And there's some very gifted and talented couples counselors out there that if those people hadn't let hopelessness take them over, and then there's this whole population who did see a counselor, but it didn't really do the trick. And we we have a kind of a reputation of being the last ditch couples counselors because sometimes people come to see us. They not only saw two, but maybe they saw three. Maybe they saw four. And then they finally came. God bless them. They had dogged determination. They thought that there was something preserving. But I do uh, have a complaint about some people in my field who let the couples come and blame and shame each other in the sessions. They do that at home. They've been doing that at home way too much, that it's the couple's counselor's job to referee and to take a stand for only doing your own work, speaking about yourself, your own feelings and your needs, particularly your vulnerable feelings, and that you can't blame and shame the other person. You can't accuse them, and you can't take the moral hard ground that you're the innocent party here and the other person is wrecking the relationship because that's doom and destruction coming from that. And it has to be a strong and clear, capable person who's willing to get in there with some tough love with people who have been indulging their anger mm -hmm. and acting it out for way too long mm -hmm. and say, no, that's not going to work. It's not <laughs> going to get you where you want to go. If you want to have a good relationship, you got to knock it off. That's a great point. And especially for people that aren't getting anywhere with their current therapist, look out for those signs of, are they really, you know, as effective as they could be in refereeing your conversations. And, uh, and I wanted to add on to what you were saying about 
yeah, if the other person isn't doing the work and also if you're becoming a shell of yourself, yeah, you know, if your sense of self worth personality has changed for the worse, I would say that's, that's a major flag too. Um, but I wanted to shift gears a bit to, to couples that are, are maybe not dealing with active conflict or, you know, needing to do as much work. Maybe they've been together for a while, but they're sort of just coasting along. Maybe they're really busy. Maybe they have, you know, kids and they're looking to ignite that spark. What would be your suggestions? In those cases, it's very often that what we find is that there are what we refer to as incompletions in the relationship. And an incompletion is uh, some unfinished business, that there are feelings or concerns that haven't been sufficiently addressed and resolved. Uh, Maybe grudges that people are holding, maybe a fear of expressing something that keeps nagging at them. And these things accumulate and they get in the way of having people have deep connections. Because when there's things that you you are afraid to reveal out of a concern uh, about how the other person might react or feel, then they they can begin to clog up the channels between the two of you because you're you're on some level being very careful not to activate something that you know could be problematic, could be difficult, could be uncomfortable. And so often in those situations where couples have, you know, they're not actively uh, fighting a lot, but there's distance between them. Things have kind of flatlined in the relationship. The juice has dried up. Often that's the case that uh, we find that there are things that people have put on the back burner that they have kind of decided individually or collectively that they don't want to deal with. And those things need to come up and they need to be acknowledged because they're, they are preventing the kind of connection that, that both people want to have. They're clogging up the circuits that make those connections possible. And unless and until, you know, they're dealt with and acknowledged, which is a risk because, you know, there is a possibility that you bring some of that stuff up. Um, There could be, you know, some very difficult stuff to deal with. Yeah. But if you don't deal with it, then it's very unlikely that this flatlined relationship is going to change. I want to add to what Charlie's saying. I'm totally uh, in support of what he's saying. But generally speaking, there's one in the pair that has a desire, you know, and a longing to spice it up, mm-hmm. maybe to bring up the the tough issues that are incomplete, laying around, swept under the rug. But there also could be, in addition to that, that they just want some change. Do you know these couples who are the happiest that have been together 30, 40, 50 years and more. The research is the same about all those people. Adventure, change is what they've been committed to all along. And they haven't made the choice for the comfort and security and predictability 
that flatlines relationships. Those couples who have gone for the comfort and security and predictability are doing themselves a disservice because there's a whole layer of enlivening discovery and adventure that they're missing out on. So more responsibility lays with the person who's feeling restless and feeling, is this all that there is? There's got to be more than this. They need to disturb the system a little bit and say, we need to shake it up. Not just talking about the things that need to be talked about, but you maybe need to go away someplace you've never been before. You maybe need to make some new friends. You may need to make up a new hobby. You know, uh, Judith Wallerstein's not in her body anymore, but she wrote this beautiful book called The Good Marriage. And she found that the people who are having the best relationship don't necessarily have interests in common. You know, they make so, there's such an emphasis on interests in common. She says they have interests. Do you know they've got passionate areas of interest? So they're keeping themselves alive and stimulated, and they have something to bring to stimulate the partnership. Mm. Very important. I know early on in my relationship, uh, my partner was not used to women having their own lives as much or being a little bit more um, interested in just hanging out with him all the time. So I kind of had to break that early on. Like, no, I'm going to be going out with my friends. I've got my own hobbies. I've, And if it doesn't work for you, and it was tough, you know, early on, it was like, he wasn't used to that. And so if it doesn't work for you, that's I'm going to have to move forward without you. And of course he didn't want that. So, you know, our relationship evolved or it was very clear early on that like we have independent interests and time, but mm-hmm. that can be a tough one to, to, to get to, especially um, I think there's just so many, I know there's so many codependent relationships where you get into a zone where you, you do the same things. You are upset if the other person makes a different plan. So I know this is similar territory, but what advice would you have for someone that's like, oh, my partner is just so reliant on me or just we've established this pattern where I'm always yeah. down for whatever they want me to do? Yeah. So I'm so glad that you're bringing this up. And I feel like this is a very neglected area in our field about relationships that hit the golden zone, the co-creative. You have three components to the relationship. You have the together, which is the shared interests and the shared activities and the intimacy, sexual and emotional intimacy. You have the against, which is learning how to handle your differences so that you're enlivened by them, not ground down by them. And then the apart, that's healthy individuation, that there are two unique individuals here. They may have interests in separate from each other. They may have friends separate from each other. They may have vacations separate from each other. And that can be very healthy part of a relationship. We, in our field, there's a lot about intimacy and there's a lot about conflict management. And from my point of view, not enough about individuation. Be your unique self. I call it the dance of love and freedom. You're free to go do what you want to do and enjoy and have friends. And then you come back and you're close and then you let go and you have a part, a life apart as well. Respecting, you know, the other person's needs. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, you don't want to have too much time apart either. Too, oh. like suddenly you're living different lives. Um, but yeah, it makes you miss. You got to miss each other a little bit. Keep that spark. <laughs> keep that spark alive. And I think that's another really hot topic. And we don't have a lot of time left, which I'm sad because I have so many th- more things I wanted to ask you about. But um, you know, the topic of uh, of well, w- we work in the hormone business, so a lot of our clients have low libido, and that's really, really, really common among women. And, and men too, as they age, but wh- how do we, wh- what would be your suggestions for igniting the spark when um, maybe it's due to low libido um, or just, again, comfort with each other? But I think intimacy and sparking that is a really big topic. It is. And I will say that emotional intimacy and heart talking is an aphrodisiac. Mm. You know, Charlie's making a point about clearing up the incompletions. Because if you have residual resentment, you might not even remember what it was that aggravated you, but it didn't get handled. It's one little thing clogging up the, the channel between you two. And if both people are committed to keeping that channel free-flowing. They don't have any tolerance for those incompletions, you know, making a mess of it and clogging up the works. And so it's appealing to the other person's self-interest. We're going to have a lot more peace of mind. We're going to have a lot more fun. We're going to have a lot more laughter. We're going to have a lot more learning, and we're going to have a lot more emotional intimacy and some great sex. Do you know? And, And that foundation of the relationship is to get what gives rise to the sensual connection that can last for decades. Asking for what you want. Yeah. I think, I think that's really hard, especially for women when they're, when maybe they're not getting the attention and they feel that they need to be the first one to initiate sex in particular. Um, do you have any communication strategies more like an, an example for that? Well, I mean, I, I think that what Linda said it really can go a long way when you can present it as something that is going to enhance the quality of our relationship, which is going to make both of us feel, feel more fulfilled, but it's, it's also easy to, to, um, to forget how sensitive this uh, m- most of us are to this particular concern uh, about sexual fulfillment and how quickly we can feel shamed if we think that the other person is uh, accusing us of uh, you know being inadequate in terms of our sexual performance or anything to do with with that. So, so, so just keeping in mind that, you know, this is a really important thing to talk about, but it's also one of the most delicate issues that, you know, and couples can talk about because it so quickly and easily activates feeling of shame and, and fear of being seen as uh, failing to, to provide what I should be able to provide. So just keeping that in mind and presenting it in in ways that are much less likely 
to cause the other person to feel like you're holding them responsible or blaming them to use the the to speak in terms of we and us as opposed to you uh you know this is what uh you know we we can do this is what would really mean a lot you know if if we could we could do this and mm-hmm. um and to to be you know to be willing to to revisit this this is not a one conversation uh solution this is this is kind of going to be uh periodically checking in to see how how are we doing with this and again like taking small steps in terms of um you know agreeing to certain things that we we might be able to do in you know in that arena that can move us gradually in the direction that you know will enhance the relationship for both of us mm-hmm. thank you for that and i had questions about money and if you could do a quick fire answer here if i can just and i'm sure your answer is yes but someone asked can you repair trust and rebuild after infidelity? The answer is it's yes. possible. Yes. yes, it's possible. You can. That's the answer. Okay. <laughs> next question. <laughs> yeah, next question. Because well, that of, of all the breaches of trust, that that kind of betrayal cuts so close to the bone. Yeah. But we have worked with many couples over the year. Years, years that we could note that their relationship not only had the pre-breach trust repaired, but then some. They rolled up their sleeves, they got to work, they saw what the conditions were, they gave rise to it, the rationalizations that justified looking for love in all the wrong places, saw what a terrible toll it took, how, how it cut close to the bone, and they learned their lesson. And that old adage about once a cheater, always a cheater, is not correct if people have some you know, fire in the belly that they really want to do the work, mm-hmm. they can repair the trust. Great. That's great to hear. Okay. Well, I'll reserve my, any other questions for maybe a possible future second part interview, but thank you so much for your time. This is so insightful. I really appreciate the work that you do. Thank you for having us. And we just want people to know our website is bloomwork, bloomwork.com and all kind of free stuff on the that site free ebooks and there's um more than 600 blogs on psychology today a link and then there's also our youtube channel which has got a lot of free information and hot tips and there's a a button that you can push and it takes you to amazon and people can buy our most recent book and all of them so we're we're just here to support couples to have the happiest relationship that they could have Thank you so much. You're doing an amazing job. 